I don't know if you uh, enjoy God messing up your plans. Do you enjoy that? When God, you got things planned out, you know what you're going to do, and then God comes along, kind of messes things up and changes the plan, the agenda. Does he ever do that to you? Well, he does it to me occasionally, and uh, he did it to us this morning. I had uh, something else planned for today, but uh, God wanted this done that we're going to do today, and I'm so thankful uh, that he changed plans and has something for you today, and that is found in Ezekiel chapter 1. I, I can tell you this morning, I'm not going to preach for very long, and I will tell you this, the end of my sermon is a whole lot better than the beginning. Come on, are you, are you with me? So hang in there, it's going to get, it, before you leave, you're going to say, that was awesome. Here it is in Ezekiel chapter 1, I want to begin in verse 28, the end of the chapter, and then we're going to read on into chapter 2. I want to talk about Ezekiel's call. Uh, falling down, standing up, and then going on. And it all begins here in chapter 1, the end of the chapter. Verse 28 says, This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me, when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I pray that you would knock us on our face, stand us on our feet, and then send us out to speak for you. I pray that you would touch hearts and change lives Burden the souls of the people of this church. And dear Lord, from Kavanaugh Church, I pray that you would call many who would respond by saying, Here am I, Lord. Send me. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. One of the crises facing today's church is the lack of young people willing to give their lives to full-time gospel service. Now, of course, all committed Christians are full-time Christians and therefore full-time servants. But church, from the very earliest of days of the church, there have been some who have been set apart from secular vocations to be full-time pastors and evangelists and Christian educators and missionaries. But those numbers are dwindling. Not only in Christianity, but specifically in Free Will Baptist. I read a news article just the other day that really got my attention. It stated that the average age for an American pastor has risen to 54. Now, I kind of took comfort in that because that's right at where I'm at. I'm 55 and and I don't consider 54 very old anymore, <laughs> all right? But here was the shocking thing to discover just 25 years ago. Now, I started pastoring 34 years ago, so this is right in that time, same time frame. 25 years ago, the average age of a man in America pastoring a church was 44. So just in 24, in my ministry, the average age of a pastor has gone from 44 to 54. Now just one in seven pastors leading 
congregations in America are under the age of 40. There was another article I read the same time that had this headline. At Easter, church pews may be full, but it's getting harder to fill the pulpits. And the article was all about the growing shortage of clergy in America. And I know that's true. Just this past week, I had uh, lunch on two different occasions with different denominational leaders in the Free Will Baptist movement. And this was the point of our discussion. How few young men and young women are answering the call to vocational ministry. But that's just one snapshot. Uh, let's talk about the church in general and the church as a whole. When I was being trained in seminary over 30 years ago, there was the old 80-20 number. And it goes like this. 80% of the work done in a church is generally done by 20% of the people. Okay? And it doesn't matter which denomination or which church. That, that's basically what it is. That number has changed. And what I'm reading now says that 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. That's shocking. And, and I know Kavanaugh's a great church. And, and I, uh, our numbers are better than that. But, but let's just talk specifically here, and let me give you an example. There is nothing in the world more important than grounding our children in faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, really, we believe that, yet we never, even at Kavanaugh, we never have enough workers in we worship ministry, in the nursery, and in children's church. If you know, just to step back and take a snapshot of what's going on in churches in America, you've got to ask yourself the question, well, has God stopped calling people? Has he? I don't think that's the case at all. I think God is still calling people today. Maybe the problem is we're just not listening. Well, the prophet Ezekiel has something to say about all this. Uh, just look at the way he opens the book in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day of the month, I was standing amongst the captives by the river Kabar, that the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. Ezekiel tells us two really important things in verse 1. He tells us his age and his location. He was 30 years old plus four months and five days. <laughs> now, that kind of reminds me of a six-year-old. I'm six and a half, you know. I mean, Ezekiel is being very specific on his age, 30 years old, four months and five days. He was by lineage a priest. And according to Numbers chapter 4, priests were supposed to begin their priestly service at age 30. But there he was. Four months and five days past his 30th birthday, and he had done nothing for the Lord. And as I read this text, I believe he was extremely burdened by that and felt extraordinarily useless. Why? Because he wasn't among the worshipers at the temple in Jerusalem. He was among the exiles by the Kabar River in Babylon. He had been caught in one of the early invasions of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and had been seized and dragged away from his homeland. He had been taken some 900 miles away and placed in a refugee camp 
near the large city of Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar had his palace and his hanging gardens. Now, Ezekiel had been looking forward all of his life to that moment when he would enter the priestly service. He had been training his entire life when he would officially be placed into the priesthood. And just when that moment was about to come, he found himself literally in a war zone, seized by Gentile troops, torn from his homeland, and exiled into a refugee camp. You talk about having a bad day. (laughs) What did priests do? Well, they offered sacrifices, and they served in the temple of the Lord. But that's not where Ezekiel was. He was in Babylon in a refugee camp. There were no altars. There was no sacrifices. There was no temple, and there was nothing for him to do. And and Ezekiel must have been emotionally and spiritually desolate. His morale was gone. His life's training seemed to be wasted, and his purpose for living had evaporated. You ever feel that way? Well, you know how he felt. And then, all of a sudden, God did something. Don't you like it when God does something? Well, he did something for Ezekiel in rapid succession. Three things. I call them whammy, whammy, double whammy. (laughs) I mean, because he whammed him, man. And from that moment on, Ezekiel became one of the most effective and powerful men that God ever planted in this world. This is the story of how God called Ezekiel from being a useless priest and turned him into one of the greatest prophets the world has ever seen. And I got to believe, I got to believe, God wants to do to us the same three things God did to Ezekiel. Do you want to know what those were? All right, you with me? Come on, get excited now. Okay, all right, here we go. And I guarantee you this is about to get a whole lot better here in just a minute. Here's what God did to Ezekiel, what he wants to do to us. Number one, he wants to knock us on our face. Knock us on our face in worship to him. Go back to verse 28 of chapter 1. Ezekiel says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, here it is, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Now, this was Ezekiel's reaction to this unexpected vision that he had experienced in the opening chapter of this book. Let me take you back to verse 1 of chapter 1. He said, in the 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was amongst the exiles by the river Kabar, the heavens were open, and here it is, I saw visions of God. Notice that? He saw visions of what? He saw visions of God. And then he goes on to give us this mind-boggling description of these four living creatures that he would later describe as angels of the rank of cherubim. And it is mind-boggling. You see these four creatures, they have wings, they're flying around, and then there are these wheels and these wheels inside of wheels, and all this stuff is spinning in the sky, and Ezekiel's watching it, and it's freaking him out. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, not only did I see these cherubim, these four cherubim and wheels inside of wheels, I also saw this throne. 
And I heard this voice of one who was speaking from the throne. And then I saw him who sat upon the throne. <laughs> Y'all don't look very excited, but let me tell you, Ezekiel was excited. He encountered God. Now here's what I want you to see. Here was Ezekiel, one moment, a defeated, useless priest. He was 30 years old with no future. He had no temple to work in, no sacrifice to offer, no home, no homeland. He was exiled and defeated. That is Ezekiel one moment. The very next moment, he encounters the living God who reigns over earth in heaven and who is in total control of his creation. One moment, Ezekiel's face is downcast. He's moping. His life is falling apart. Things couldn't get any worse. And then the very next moment, he falls face down in worship to Almighty God. Wow! <laughs> now, I don't know this to be fact, but here's my thinking. I believe that one of the reasons so few people today are going into the ministry of the Lord's work is because we have lost the sense of wonder and majesty and grandeur that belongs to God Almighty who sits on His throne and His Son, Jesus Christ. And try this on for size. If we don't have a vision of who God is, if we don't have a vision of who God is, it is very difficult for us to acquire much of a vision of what God wants us to do. If we would serve God as we should, we've got to see God as He is. Sometimes we just try to condense God into the little package we want God to be condensed down into and carry Him in our pocket. God is not that way. God is God. And once you get a vision of God, once you see God as He is and he tells you what he wants from your life, then you can do it because it's the God of the universe having you do his will. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need a vision like Ezekiel had or even some electrifying experience like some of the men of the Bible had, but I'm here to tell you, if you're going to serve God and do what he's called you to do, you're going to have to encounter him. You're going to have to see God as he is, the God of the Bible, and know that he is the God of the universe, and there is nothing too tough for him. And if he calls you to do something that you don't think you can do, you just hang in there because God can do it. And if he's called you to do it, he'll enable you to do it. And so here Ezekiel, man, he has this encounter with God, and what does God do? He knocks him on his face. What? I really wish God would do that to some of you and to me, that we would fall on our face in worship of the majesty of God. But here's the cool thing. God did not leave Ezekiel on his face very long. Number two, he stood him up on his feet so that he could listen to what God had to say. Chapter 2, verse 1, he said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And he, as he spoke, the Spirit of God came into me, and it raised me up to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Now, that's pretty cool. 
I see two things that God is doing there. Number one, he put his spirit in Ezekiel's life. The spirit of God came over him. And then number two, he spoke his word into Ezekiel's life. So Ezekiel's getting two things as God stood him up, as God stood him on his feet. He got the spirit of God and he got the word of God given to him. Both of those are crucial if you're going to be sent by God. Because you can't do it on your own. You, you can't minister the way God calls us to minister on our own. There is no way I can stand up here on Sundays and preach to you the Word of God on my own. I've tried that before. And you know what? I stumble and fall. It's only when the Spirit of God is on me. And so every day I pray, and especially on Sunday mornings, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Anoint me with the Holy Spirit so I can speak the Word of God. And it's not words from will that you need to hear. It is the Word of God you need to hear. Because His Word is what changes our lives. And not only do I need that in vocational ministry, but listen, friend, you need it in doing whatever it is God has called you to do. Whether it's to work and we worship, or whether it's to go next door and witness to your neighbor. You've got to have the Spirit of God in your life to do that. And you've got to speak to them the Word of God. Here's the picture that we see in chapter 2, at the end of the chapter. Chapter 2, God gives Ezekiel this little scroll, a mini scroll. And he said, eat it. There are words written on the front and the back. They are my words, and I want you to eat this scroll. And so Ezekiel took it, and he ate it. He said, it tasted like honey when it was in my mouth. But it was bitter in my belly. Kind of reminds me of some dinner on the grounds I've had at church. Yeah? You with me there? Yeah? But I want you to see, this is very graphic. This is what God is doing. God gave Ezekiel this scroll to eat. It was his word. He said, I want you to eat my word. I want you to consume my word because it is this word that you will go out and speak to the people. Guys, isn't that beautiful? That's the way it is with us. In order for us to help people, we've got to eat the word of God. We've got to take God's word into our own life. It has to become who we are. And along with the word of God and the spirit of God, then we can do this third thing. And that is God sends us on our way to evangelize. So let me rehash here. The Lord knocks us on our face in worship. He stands us on our feet to listen. And then he sends us out to do ministry. Look again at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit of God came into me, raised me up on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And this is what he said. Son of man, I am sending you. I'm sending you. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we find that phrase all through the Bible. God is always sending people out to do specific works of ministry. And God is sending you. God is saying that to you today. I'm sending you. That's all through the Bible. Remember Isaiah's call in the temple? Pretty close to Ezekiel's. Who will go for me? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And the Lord said, go. 
I was reading just the other day the Gospel of John, and I was amazed how many times this word, sent or sinned, is found in the Gospel of John. It is found in every chapter except three chapters. And Jesus is the one saying it. For example, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Do you see this picture? Jesus said, I have come to die on the cross for the remission of the sins of the people. Why? Because God sent me. My heavenly Father sent me. He had a task for me to do. There was a mission for me to undertake. There was a job he created me to do, to die for the sins of the world. God sent me. You got that? And then in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. <laughs> wow. And he's saying that to you guys. Just like the Father sent me, so am I sending you. But you say, Oh Lord, no, I have other plans for my life. And he says, but your sins. We say, Lord, I, I don't want to go there. But he says, no, your sins. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm afraid to be your witness. They might reject my message and my appeal. God says, that's okay. I'm sending you anyway. Okay. When I read Ezekiel's call, God said, I'm sending you. And then I said, dot, dot, dot. But listen to what he actually says. I'm sending you to a certain people, verse 4. The people to whom I am sending you to are obstinate and stubborn. I've pastored those people before. Okay. That was supposed to be funny. And only my wife laughed. He said, say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, you don't be afraid. Because I'm the God of the universe. And I'm sending you to do a job. You just go do the job I've called you to do and you don't worry about anything else. You live to serve me. And so, guys, here it is. Here's where we are. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And the question you've got to ask yourself this morning is this. Well, what is it God wants me to do? Where does God want me to go? How does God want to use me? Because I promise you, he wants to use you. And God will use you if you say yes. Now, that's my part. Now I'm coming to the end. This is where it gets better. In April, I was at the International Missions Meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and our board meeting, we had a couple of young ladies come before us seeking approval to be sent out as intern missionaries. One of them is the young lady who's with us today. Her name is Victoria Little. She is from North Carolina, and she has an incredible story of how God has called her to be a missionary to Kenya. 
She's 24 years old. She is an RN, works in a hospital, but she loves the Lord, and God has called her to Kenya. Would you listen to Victoria and give her a big Kavanaugh welcome as she comes right now? It's so good to be here this morning. Um, yes, a little bit about my story. Uh, I went with Eddie and Amanda Simmons to Kenya about three years ago, and at that time they were still doing short-term trips about every six months, so I was able to go on one of those. And um, But I'd been on several missions trips before. The first one I was 15 to Mexico, um, and then several to Honduras and Mexico uh, and Panama. But um, the Lord burdened me with missions on that first trip to Mexico, and I started looking for, for ways to um, help and be a benefit on the mission field. And the Lord kind of, uh, through different circumstances, led me to nursing. So I went and got my nursing degree, and I've been working the last two years in a hospital in Shelby, North Carolina. Um, but anyhow, I went with Eddie and Amanda and was, was able to do a lot of medical work when I was with them with the Samburu people. The Samburu are an unreached people group living in uh, Barcelona, Kenya, uh, kind of the middle uh, of the country, right around the equator. Um, it's very uh, dry land. And these are just a few pictures of Barcelona, where the Simmons are living now, and I'll be living when I go out there, hopefully in October. Um, you, you can just see it's very dry, very hot, not much um, grass and things, uh, and water for the animals and them to drink. Um, but anyhow, so this, this is a Samburu. They are a nomadic people group, so they travel. Um, they have animals. That's their main source of income and livelihood. This is a just typical dress. A lady, they wear the um, extravagant beading like that. It's part of their everyday dress. And the two men on the right are called Moran. They are the male warriors, so teenage years through their 20s. And they're the ones who do the fighting and um, take care of the, the cattle that have to go out further to get water and food. So, What we do is we'll go to a new location and um, the people just gather because we're white and they want to know what the white person is doing out in the middle of nowhere Kenya. So they will gather and they want to listen to what we have to say. Usually the men and the women will separate into two different groups and I and Amanda We'll talk to the ladies. This is Eunice. She's our translator. She's a very godly, Samburu woman who has a heart for her people. She doesn't live in Barcelona. She lives in a town about um, three or four hours away, which is the nearest town um, any kind, to any kind of, of civilization around there. Um, but anyhow, we story from Genesis, uh, from creation to the cross, just kind of fast track, maybe an hour, hour and a half. We tell them the main points, um, just to share the gospel with them. They know about God. They do a lot of um, spirit worship and things like that, but they're just missing that Jesus peace. They, they want to get to God, but they just don't know how. So when we tell them about Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross, then they're very willing and ready to accept him. And their entire culture has changed in the last three or four years since the Simmons have been going. So it's incredible. There's about five to 600 new believers there, um, but they need to be discipled. So that's the purpose of the Simmons going back there and working, and my ultimate goal as well is to disciple these new believers. This is Jackson. He's, the, uh, he's a pastor in that closest town as well. 
He's our co-worker um, with the Sombrew, so whenever he's not pastoring, he'll lead his family, and he'll come out there for a couple weeks at a time and just translate and disciple the new men believers. A couple of stories just about medical things that I was able to do and participate in. Um, I was just in nursing school at the time, so I was still kind of limited in what I could do, but this is Napano. She, um, she's a mother. This is her child there. She was cooking in her home, and she burned her leg uh, in the fire, and she took a couple days, but she finally came to us, and by that time, um, it was swollen. She had a fever, um, just very infected and she probably would have died if she hadn't sought some sort of treatment but again there's not a clinic or anything around so we were the best thing that she had um, but I gave her antibiotic and every day she came back and I cleaned her wound and redressed it um, I don't think I mentioned she walked about two miles every day on that leg with her baby um, to get to us so that's how desperate they were well, anyhow, for after about a week of doing that, um, her fever was gone. We were about to leave, and she had tears in her eyes, and she was just thanking us. And for a Sombru woman to show any kind of emotion like that is um, very rare. So you could tell that um, something had, had gotten a hold of her, and um, I was able to to tell her that people back in America were praying for her. I was able to take a picture and put it on Facebook. I mean, we don't have food or, or, or um, electricity or running water or anything like that, but we have Facebook, um, so <laughs> I was able to do that. Um, go figure. But um, So people at my church especially were praying for her, and I was able to tell her, God healed you. This was God. People back in America were praying for you. And you tell it just really um, meant a lot to her. Well, the next time the Simmons went on a short-term trip, she accepted Christ through the storing, and she was baptized as well. And her husband then accepted Christ, and he was baptized. So that's just an example of one family in Kenya who is now following Christ and training up their children to do the same. Picture on the right is her um, and her, her today, and her she has another child. This is Saruri. He is a guard at the Simmons. They have a guard all the time. And he was sleeping in his hut, and he was bitten by a brown cobra right there on his, his finger. This is just after he was bitten. And um, the only thing that's going to help if you get bit by a snake is to get the antivenom, which um, has to be kept at very specific temperatures so we can't keep it out there. So he had to have hospital care. So uh, Eddie rushed into the hospital, you know, a few hours away as fast as he could get there. And um, he was able to get the antivenom just in time um, and spent a couple days in the hospital, but was able to return home a couple days later and um, just miraculously healed from that and doesn't have any um, dead skin or necrosis around that area, which is very typical after being bit by a snake like that. So, I mean, it's just an incredible miracle. But he's a believer, and he knows that it was God that healed him. So he's been telling all of his friends and family, look what God did. And they're just amazed because it's so unusual to see somebody live after being bit by a snake. Um, so God's using difficult health things to spread his name. And it's really neat to see the disciples making disciples now. So a couple ways to pray for the Sombru. This is the river. It's dry. Um, they haven't had water uh, in the river for several months now. And the only way that they can get water is to dig down. This is Chief's wife. She's digging down into the riverbed, waiting for the water to come up. Um, a couple attempts at digging wells have been unsuccessful. So um, this is the only way they can get water now. It's how the Simmons are 
getting their water to drink and to bathe and cook with. And um, it's how I'll, I'll have to get my water as well when I move there if um, the water doesn't come. But um, pray for rain, um, not only for their physical needs, but um, that they will come to know the water of life. Um, with, with every physical need we have, Christ meets that in a spiritual way. We thirst. He, um, he fills us with the living water. Um, so this is a picture of, or with the um, lack of rain, the food prices have increased about 50%. So kids and families are starving. Um, so just one picture of um, just two kids, um, very hungry. So they were able to raise about $10,000 and do a food drive. Um, so two big trucks drove out there and they were able to feed about 2,500 people. That food will last them about um, three to four weeks. And not only with that, but everyone who came and wanted got to hear the gospel shared for the first time. Mrs. Jackson sharing it with those people who came to get food. And um, about 100 people accepted Christ in that one day. Um, and with that, Amanda also was able to do a lot of medical work, saw about 60 patients. She's not a nurse, so she's a little overwhelmed with that. So I'll be able to go out there and help her do some of that. Um, but it's an incredible thing that God's doing in Kenya, and he's building his church there. Um, and I'm so honored to, to be part of that. But it didn't just start yesterday or even last year. It started when I was 15, and I went on my first missions trip, and God just got a hold of my heart and called me. Um, I used to wonder what it was like to be called by God. It's not a voice telling you something, but you know it, um, and you don't have peace about it until you surrender to that call. Um, you know, I went to Kenya three years ago, um, the Samburu. Um, God just burdened my heart with them, and every day I would just be burdened for them and cry and just beg the Lord for me to go back. Um, so I knew he had called me there, but he didn't make a way to go back until this past January when the Simmons moved there. Um, so it doesn't make sense sometimes, the call of God. Why would I want to go and live with no um, electricity or your air conditioning or running water? Um, so it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Um, but um, I've never had so much peace and joy in following the Lord in that. Um, and for the past two years, uh, it hasn't been uh, his timing. His call for my life has been to work in the hospital. Um, and so he's given me many opportunities there with patients and coworkers. Um, and so not everybody has to go to Kenya. Not everybody can go. Um, but where you are now, what are your, whatever your occupation is, um, that's you know where God's called you. Look for those opportunities and um, what he's burdened your heart for and surrender that. Um, put your yes on the table and just watch what he does. And it's an incredible thing to be part of um, the call of God. Amen. Bless you, Victoria. Wow. I told you it was going to get better, huh? And it did. What a wonderful testimony. Recapping what she said, God calls. You just have to lay your yes on the table. Would you lay your yes on the altar today? I'm going to ask just a couple of things. Number one, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, would you come and receive him today? He wants to save you and forgive you of all of your sin. 
Number two, no matter where you are in life's journey, if you are a believer, ask yourself, am I doing what God made me to do? Am I fulfilling his will in my life? And maybe what you need to do today is just bring your yes and lay it on the altar and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, the answer is yes. Then, church, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Would you pray with me and our church staff that Kavanaugh continue to be a sending and going church? It's my prayer that out of this fellowship, God would call many more young people into the ministry, and they would say yes to him.